2: Welcome in, everybody. Third hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. You've got uh, President Biden speaking about the uh, wildfires uh, in, or the wildfire, I should say, in Maui. Um, do we have him? Can we take it live just for a minute here to see? I assume he's talking about relief efforts. Go to Imagine
3: it. being a mom or dad wondering where your child is. Imagine being a husband or wife, a mother or father. It's really tough stuff. Almost 500 federal personnel have been deployed to Maui to help communities and survivors get back on their feet. FEMA search and rescue teams are sifting through the ashes in that five-mile area that you've seen on television has been burned. It's painstaking work it takes time, and it's nerve-wracking. Most of the debris can't be removed until it's done. My wife, Jill, and I are going to travel to Hawaii as soon as we can. That's what I've been talking to the governor about. I don't want to get in the way. I've been to too many disaster areas, but I want to go make sure we got everything they need. Want to be sure we don't disrupt the ongoing recovery efforts. FEMA Administrator Griswold, who's the best we ever had, I think, was on the ground this weekend. I just talked to her; she's back in the states. I have directed her to uh, streamline the process as quickly as possible. To help register survivors for immediate federal assistance without delay. Today, okay. So, is the, he he,
2: Biden saying that he's they're they're mobilizing federal resources to uh, help um, the community in Maui that was just devastated by this fire? Um, you know, this comes after Biden was dismissive. It seemed to the people asking him questions about it, the reporters at least. Oh, uh, when they asked, he said no comment. I don't know. I think it's pretty easy and and not not a high bar to suggest that the commander in chief could say our thoughts and prayers are with the people of maui we're mobilizing and we'll, i'll have more on this you know later in the week or i'm gonna make an official statement but no comment i mean it was he pleading the fifth it felt very uh very strange to people in in that moment and uh and i think it's this is just the reality um that we see with joe biden that his first instinct is not to be somebody who is uh, filled with, with empathy. uh, Somebody who is uh, really thinking very much about those affected. I mean, I, I go back to East Palestine. I believe as I speak now and team, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Biden never went to East Palestine. Um, I think that uh, I I know that for weeks he didn't go. I think he ended up just saying, yeah, I have no plans to go or didn't, did he end up going later on in the process? I'm, I'm, he did. He never went. Wow. OK, that's one of those things where I'm relying on my memory and my memory's like, is it even? Could he be that? Just indifferent. And the answer, of course, is yes, because he is. And he was. Um, but hopefully putting aside the partisan aspect of this for a moment, or maybe just the accountability aspect for the Biden administration um, with. 99 people having lost their lives in Maui and um, many more, I believe, expected to be added to that number, uh, tragically. Uh, this is a time when I think a lot of people understandably just want as much help and resources to get to them as, uh, get to the people of Maui as possible. Like I said, uh, Will Kane will be with us. You all know him from Fox News. I've known Will for, gosh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years now when we started working together at the Blaze back in 2000 and. 12 2011 um so i guess yeah 10 11 years but uh he'll be with us tomorrow he's in maui and he'll update us on all that okay if we have any more news on that oh wait biden authorized 700 hundred dollar one-time payments to the survivors of the fire the team is just showing me this i remember seeing this briefly um yeah that's i mean is, is he he really thinks that's going to make a um, Mark's difference. I, like, I guess, I guess they would argue. I always try to think, what's the counter argument? If I was up in some Demo- if I was up on the, uh, on the podium and arguing with some Democrat propagandist, what would they say? They'd probably say, well, you know, it's $700 better than nothing, but I, hopefully there's a lot more going on. Um, although this administration, the results don't really matter. One thing that you see, I think, unfortunately, is the narrative of anti Trumpism from the Democrats is so powerful. And there's such a fixation on it that uh, it never really penetrates, certainly never penetrates the Democrats. And and I, I think it's hard to penetrate in the news cycle in general that the country is not doing anywhere near as well as it would be doing if we had more competent leadership. If somebody better than Joe Biden was in the Oval Office, even a better Democrat. I know people don't like to hear. Look, the Democrats as a party, I think have completely lost their way. And I think they're deeply destructive and they're, they're the, the far left and the, the woke and the socialists are, they run the party now, but there could, there are better Democrats than Joe Biden. I think we could all, he isn't, you know, there, there are in fact people in the Democrat party who would do a better job than Joe Biden. Uh, he's pretty bad. Um, I, I do want to bring this back here. Uh, so we have Biden. There's nothing, I think, newsworthy other than what I just shared with you, which is they're ta- they're mobilizing federal resources. Uh, we'll have more updates on this from Will tomorrow. He can tell us what's really going on. Um, I saw preliminary reports that the cause of the fire, they're saying, is possibly power lines, uh, that power lines cause the fire. So and I wonder I- I'm sure there were a lot of people who initially just jumped on the oh, my gosh, climate change. See? You know, now we all have to like change our stoves to electric or whatever, uh, because of climate change. It looks like it may have actually been a utility company issue, but we'll bring us up to speed on that one. Like I said, we'll get into it more tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, back to Atlanta, back to Georgia for a second here. Uh, you know, you see an indictment like this. I, I can't believe I was, I mean, I was pretty much speed reading it, but I did read it. Uh, it's not that, you know, the indi- indictment pages are much less than, you know, it's not, um, I'm not sitting there reading uh, James Joyce Ulysses or something, right? I mean, you can go through it pretty quickly and pick it all up. And uh, you're going through it and you're saying, oh, my gosh, all these charges, all these crimes, all these years in prison. Here's what uh, Alan Dershowitz, who, you know, he he infuriates the left because he is not a Trump guy. And you all know that. But he is this. It's almost they're almost uh, extinct people on the left. Of the political spectrum, who still believe in rule of law and civil rights and civil protections, even if they don't like the person, right? It, that that it's it's this is true in the free speech side of things for sure as well. There, the whole association with at as the left had with uh, being civil libertarians or civil civil liberties focused at some level that's just gone. Uh, the same way that now you can be a journalist who builds a career, and this is a person who is on the left ideologically, uh, but who builds a career doing actual journalism as opposed to uh, partisan propaganda. So that's, uh, you've got someone like uh, Glenn Greenwald, for example. I mean, Glenn Greenwald and I agree on some things, uh, disagree, I think, on a, a whole range of things, but he does believe that you publish the things that are true, even if they upset leftists. Which is, that's, he's rare. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, a sighting of a a snow leopard in the wild. Like, it just doesn't happen very often, right? You're like, wow. Matt Taibbi, same thing. A man of the left. I'm sure he's not a Trump voter. He's voted Democrat his whole life. But he goes, I'm actually going to write stories or push stories based on whether they're true, irrespective of who it annoys politically. That's now Dershowitz is like that, but as a constitutional law professor. He's a guy who's a self-avowed Democrat, um, reminds people of it frequently. And, they, you know, the Democrats know it because to be a Democrat in good standing means you do what is necessary for Democrats to win. There can be no principle that is in the way. No principle can be allowed to get in the way. That's unacceptable. Here is uh, Dershowitz laying out his feeling on the Atlanta indictment. I wanted you to hear this. He covers a lot of ground in a short soundbite. Play it.
4: First of all, nobody should take it all seriously,
2: the fact that it was a grand jury indictment. It means nothing. It's the prosecutor who indicted. The best evidence of that is that it was on his website before the grand jury even voted. If you're going after the man running for president against your person, you have to have the strongest case. Otherwise, it becomes a banana republic. Anybody can prosecute anybody, and we're opening the door to prosecution of Democrats by Republicans, Republicans by Democrats, is what Alexander Hamilton wrote in The Federalist, is the most dangerous threat to democracy. And we're seeing it unfold in front of our eyes very, very tragically. This is what's happening. He sees it. They're not just... It's, it's enough of a shock to the body politic of America. It is enough of a of uh, an incendiary moment in our politics to bring a charge against a person who is in the circumstances of Donald Trump. Look, it's not, it is different, right? He's not just another person. He's a leading Republican in every single poll, in every single state. He is the leading Republican contender for the 2024 uh, nomination, and he's a former president and the most recent previous president of the United States. And if you're going to bring a charge against a person like that, a criminal charge, where you are saying, and let's remind ourselves of this too, that he needs to be locked up in a cell, no longer able to live his life, no longer able to spend time with his children and his grandchildren and his wife, and not allowed in a cell. He must go into a cell for the rest of his life, not be able to finish his presidential run without this. I mean, I think he will finish it, but... They're trying to stop him. You better have somebody, as, as Clay and I have said all along, you know, if, if Donald Trump were guilty of a, uh, you know, a vehicular manslaughter, he, he doesn't even drink, uh, drink. So this doesn't count at all. But like, if he'd gotten super drunk and, you know, had, uh, run his, his car into a family of four and people had perished, like, yeah, he's got to go to prison. I, I don't care what the politics are, but that's what Dersh is saying here. You, you've got to have somebody just blatant violation of the law serious violation of the law real victims real harm done it can't be this oh you know a signature on a paper that we don't like because we don't think you believed when you were signing the thing no it can't be that that's what this is that's where it all falls apart they're not even coming close to clearing the threshold and this is the This is the part of it that I I think is maybe even, you know, this is where I need Clay to be here to say, you know, I still believe in the system. Clay, look, still believes in the system and he could end up being right. I mean, maybe Trump beats all four of these. Maybe Hunter Biden goes to prison. I don't think Hunter Biden's going anywhere other than, you know, laughing all the way to the next con he's going to pull off, but we'll see. But I think that one of the ways you view this is there's a message that is sent because they're not clearing that threshold. And I think the Democrats at some level get the people pushing this get some joy out of it. They know that this isn't indicting Trump for, you know, manslaughter or, you know, a a heinous crime. They they know that. They know that this isn't even indicting him for crimes that most people sit around. They say, wait, what exactly? It's not even clear. I mean, you read the indictment, you go, hold on. Why is this a crime? And it's true of the other indictments as well. I mean, the New York indictment is is laughable. It is absurd. But there's also another component to this, which is that because it is absurd to a reasonable person, what is the message that the totalitarian Democrats are sending to all of us by bringing these charges? I think the message that is received for all of us is we could do this to you, too. If it were egregious stuff, if it was, you know, a, a true and awful crime that had been committed, a true felony, any kind of real felony, um, you would say to yourself, well, look, I mean, I'm, if I ever want to run for office or if my guy or gal who's going to be the next one that I really support in 10 years when it's not going to be Trump on the ballot, they're just not going to do that. So I don't have to worry about it. Oh. They're not going to do what? Heed legal advice from their from counsel? Um, take documents that they believe belong to them because they've been the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. military, and have uh, ultimate declassification authority? right? What, what, what are the crimes that you think they couldn't get some other politician on after Trump? And that, that's where this starts to get even darker, I think. That's where this starts to get even more concerning than what we already see which is the message they are sending is we'll go after somebody, meaning the district attorney in New York, in Atlanta, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, and all the different Democrats who are pushing this along. The message they are sending is, see, we will throw countless counts at you that are absurd and vague and preposterous because we can and because you're not going to do anything about it. Now we find out, going forward, are they right? Will they get away with it? This is why we have to really understand the stakes, and this is why we all have to come together and know what time it is. You can start earning high-yield returns in a low-yield market by investing in the Phoenix Capital Group's corporate bonds. You choose your investment amount term limit and earn returns from 9 to 12% annual interest with Phoenix Capital's domestic energy asset bonds. These bonds have been filed with the SEC and are also independently audited. Phoenix Capital buys energy royalties previously reserved for institutional investors, now accessible to you, the savvy investor. Phoenix Capital Group is disrupting the traditional energy industry through their proprietary offerings, yielding up to 12% annual interest. Learn more by downloading the Phoenix Group's free investment packet today at phxonair.com. For a private investor meeting, visit phxonair.com for an appointment with Matt Willer, Managing Director of Capital Markets. Look, I'm a Phoenix Capital Group investor myself, so I believe in them. I think you should check them out. But know that investment and bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Visit phxonair.com today for more information. Speaking truth and having fun. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer! a hand clap, or a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No
1: purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: How could the most powerful man in
1: media just vanish from public life?
5: Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We're taking some of your calls here later on in the hour, 800-282-2882. We've also got Sirab Amari joining us. Talk about Tyranny Incorporated. He's a very interesting writer, and thinker. He's got a new book out. We'll be having a discussion with him about that. Also wanted to get to some more of your VIP emails. Appreciate you all sending them in. It's a great way for us to all uh, talk about this. Uh, Susan wrote in, Every time Buck does his whiny Democrat voice, I laugh so hard in my mind because I picture Rick Moranis so hilarious. Susan Random fun fact. I used to play tennis with Rick Moranis, actually a really nice guy and a very astute thinker. So, there you go. Yes, of Ghostbusters and Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Um, very sharp, very smart guy. Uh, I think has a uh, a keen I'll just I don't want to get into trouble. he a keen mind for politics even, you know, perhaps even sees some things. Um, so yeah, so it's, you know, hey, I have this friend who works in comedy or I have this friend who's an actor. Man, that guy's—you know—he's pretty reasonable. He might even be a little right of center. If you say that, oh my gosh, <laughs> what have you done to my career? Right? So I'm not even sure he's right of center. I'm just saying he's a smart guy. Uh, it's funny though you, that that's the voice because that's not the voice in my head. But I actually uh, I I knew Rick a little bit back in the day. Um, nice nice guy. Uh, we'll get to Sarab Amari here in just a few moments, and uh, that will be an interesting conversation. Stay with us. If you think the Biden presidency is the worst in the history of the U.S., well, guess what? Could always get worse. According to former Wall Street Insider and digital currency expert Tika Tiwari, sometime in the near future, President Biden could go on national TV and announce a change to our currency system. could be replaced with central bank digital currency, CBDC. The publication Business Insider has confirmed some of this in writing by saying that the U.S. Treasury has made its strongest indication that a central bank digital currency could be on the table. Tika has spelled all this out for you in a video that's meant to not only warn you, but help you to prepare. Now, some are going to call the video controversial, but this is not something you want to sleep on. You want to know what's going on and at least have the option to prepare. Go to dollarrecall.com to see this video that some folks in our government don't want you to see And learn how to opt out of the digital dollar. Dollarrecall.com. That's dollarrecall.com. Paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. All right, we've got our friend Sirab Amari with us now. He's an author and a columnist. He's the founder of Compact, And he's got a new book out, Tyranny Incorporated. Sarab, thanks for being with us.
4: Thanks, Buck, and sorry I miss Clay.
2: Oh yeah, no, he's uh, he sends you his regards. He's, I believe, in the air as we speak. Otherwise, he would certainly be here too. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is really interesting, Sir because one of the one of the things about Trumpism that I, I would say is an observation more than an opinion is it it created um, a broader discussion about economic populism in the country than we've seen in a long time. What that really means, what that looks like. Uh, what is it that corporations are doing, um, from your, you know, from your vantage point that you deal with in this book that you think needs to be addressed, restructured? You know, what are the concerns?
4: Yep. So in the, over the past two generations, we've had a shift to ever greater corporate power, uh, buck. Um, and it's been made possible by the idea, the incorrect idea, too often endorsed by kind of the establishment GOP above all, you know, figures like Paul Ryan or Mitt Romney, that coercion is only what government does to us and that we're, we don't face coercion in the private economy, in our lives as, as workers, as consumers, as citizens. And this is actually an alien idea in the Republican, and I mean that in the uh, both the capital R and the small r sense of Republican. In that tradition, you know, our founding fathers were highly alert to the possibilities of private coercion, um, writing about, about it in terms of faction or the dangers of faction in the Federalist Papers, uh, as you know. Um, so, you know, over the past, I'd say maybe half a decade or so, we've seen it. Um, we've seen ordinary Republicans, people of the right, become a little bit more skeptical of a kind of free market uber alice mentality when we see you know corporations acting against um the common good of the country by you know shipping jobs overseas and destroying you know wide swaths of manufacturing in the heartland you know it's this horrific tragedy where if you look at the maps of the counties that are uh exposed to you know free trade from china those it over overlaps almost Uncannily, with the same areas that are hit by the opioid crisis and so on. And just very briefly, we've also seen um, in in the vaccine mandates, for example, the way that uh, government can often collude with corporations to create laws that impose mandates on ordinary people, which they have to fulfill, and it benefits, you know, obviously, big pharma. Or when I was at the New York Post, uh, I've left now, but at the time I was sort of in the eye of the storm, having to do with the. You know, the big tech censorship of the Hunter Biden story, you know, again, partly government related, but also it's just and the enormous amount of power wielded by a few Silicon Valley oligarchs and their uh, managers and programmers to silence and unperson the rest of us, including the newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton. So there's this new alertness to the possibilities of market based coercion on the right, which I think is healthy and in line with actually older and deeper uh, traditions of the right. So, Rob, when we talk about this, I mean, the
2: understanding or awareness of the problem is critical. I feel like where this gets really uh, challenging right away is so the things to do about it. You know, you've had the, uh, the right, I think, in the last year feel a little more of its muscle on these issues of dealing with corporate America than we've seen in a long time. There's the Ron DeSantis approach to Disney in Florida. There's the, effectively, the brand destruction of Bud Light. Um, there have been a number of other things, you know, whether it's a movie that bombed or, uh, you know, is it boycotts that you think are going to change the trajectory or, or change the, the uh the tyrannical abilities of corporations like what is you know you've diagnosed the disease if
4: not the cure what is the treatment for corporate tyranny well i think boycotts are actually important um i would not uh sort of poo-poo boycotts they're you know that's one of the weapons of of relatively powerless consumers as against much larger entities and you know there's a long history of them uh working in multiple causes that said uh, I'm a little bit worried that some of the responses always go toward um just sort of at the level of the superficial cultural issues. not that those aren't important i don't I don't want Disney you know propagandizing my kids into gender ideology more than anyone else um but there are policy solutions that I sometimes feel you know this new crop of more populist type g o p lawmakers. You know, bless their hearts. They'll go on Fox News or they'll go on, you know, on the congressional uh, hearings and they'll berate CEOs and stuff. But they don't, for example, the issue of debanking or depersoning of individuals web by big tech companies. There are policy solutions that they could do, which would actually be, again, deeply in tune with our traditions, which they don't pursue. So, for example, um, the idea of a common carrier provider. Uh, is a very powerful one. It actually goes back to the common law in England. It's, so it's very, very old. The idea is that for services that are common to everyone that you all, ha- we all have to use, the provider, even if it's a private provider, can't unreasonably discriminate against individuals. So for example, we already apply this to your, to the trains or to, you know, your phone company. Your phone company can't defone you for saying the wrong thing. And uh, as Justice Clarence Thomas, you know, that famous radical leftist has suggested that same common carrier doctrine may have to be applied to things like banks and social media companies, because otherwise, uh, you know, especially right now, it's a lot of conservatives that are on the sharp end of this stuff. Nigel Farage in Britain lost his bank account fame infamously. Um, January 6th defendants haven't been able to use uh PayPal to fundraise for their cause, et cetera. But I think there should be a warning here, even to people on the left, if they're willing to listen. Right now they're using these mechanisms to basically beat up their enemies, but it doesn't mean that they, you know, potentially won't find themselves on the wrong side of this later. So again, we you know, we we have policy mechanisms and traditions in the american and common law that we have to use uh and not just sort of shout about it on on fox news although believe me i i've done my share of shouting too the uh, book is tyranny inc how private power
2: crushed american liberty and what to do about it just one more for you on that sir rob um what do we do about the about big tech and social media companies got a lot of attention at the end of the Trump administration, then Trump didn't end up being president for the next four years. Now we see the extent of uh, perhaps the collusion between government entities and big tech for obvious political purposes and, and really political leverage. So what do we do? It, it, you know, how, how do we handle this? They've seen some conservative, or I shouldn't even say conservative, free speech platforms like Rumble, for example, which is a sponsor here on the show, among
4: others, are out there. Um, what's the way forward? Yeah. So those free speech platforms are great. I, I watch rumble shows myself. Um, but again, there's policy solutions. One is there's a litigation solution, which actually Senator Cruz was the first to propose, which is once it becomes government actively directing social media companies to censor something, then at, that implicates the First Amendment. Yes, Twitter or Facebook or whatever might be privately owned. But when it's that clearly being been been sort of uh, subordinated by the government imperative, then you can't say that your First Amendment has been, hasn't been violated. Another one is this common carrier doctrine. That's uh, Clarence Thomas's. note. All these are coming from conservative thinkers and politicians. A, a co- common carrier doctrine—the same thing that prevents uh, you know a publicly owned, a, a public service-oriented private company like your phone company from discriminating against you—should also be applied to big tech. Um, the last one, which is gets a bit technical, but it's to reform what's called section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It's a law that allows, it was enacted before there was Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but it allows these companies to act like publishers, meaning they can censor stuff, but without facing any of the traditional liabilities of a publisher. Like if I, God forbid, libel someone on this show, um, not just me, but, you know, iHeartRadio would be uh, liable to libel. But for these companies, we've created this mechanism where they can intervene in speech, and the goal was to prevent pornography, hence why the name of the act is the Communications Decency Act. But they're using it. There's plenty of porn on the platforms. Uh, they're using it to silence uh, speech. And so if they're going to do that, we have to take away that protection, and I think it will scare them a lot. So these are the policy solutions, I think. Sirab Amari is the author. Of the book, Tyranny Inc., How Private Power Crushed
2: American Liberty and What to Do About It. It is out today. So, Rob, thanks so much. My pleasure. That's the thing. We've got to figure out how to deal with the um, advantages that the Democrats have carved out using um, private corporate power, but in a public forum and even allied with the public sector is in the government. It's a mess, a mess. And it affects elections. I mean, he was at the New York Post. So Rob's a New York Post writer, and he was a Wall Street Journal uh, editorial writer before that. When they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop, that probably—I mean, you—you know—never can prove this because you know we can't redo history. But it probably cost Trump the election, right? The suppression of the laptop story certainly would have been helpful to him for people to know that truth. Uh, we'll finish up with some of your calls, some of your emails. So stick with us here for just uh, a bit more. You and I likely share this same cell phone company, Pure Talk. You got the same notice I did, and they increased the amount of data on our plans by 50% last month without any monthly plan cost increase. It's still just $20. That's great news for those of us who have Pure Talk, and it's time to make the switch if you don't have Pure Talk. Pure Talk has added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with each one with no price increase whatsoever. When you switch to Pure Talk, it's just $20 a month for unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data, plus mobile hotspot. The cell phone service is every bit as good as any of the other well-known companies like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. That's because their service is on one of these companies' networks and towers. Dial pound 250. Say Clay and Buck to make the switch to Pure Talk. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, that's dial pound Two five zero. Say Clay and Buck and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, today.
0: Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app
1: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline, so if you know where Drudge is right now, or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions
4: I have about Jesse Ventura.
5: It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Man, we're closing up shop here on Clay and Buck. Um, good time to remind you to please subscribe to the Clay and Buck podcast. Uh, we've got a great screen going Hour by hour of the show. We do a Sunday hang show that goes in there. It's kind of non political stuff. Uh, I do uh, interviews that uh, pop up there. Ryan Gerdusky joined me yesterday. Uh, so you can please subscribe to Clay and Buck podcast. Download the iHeart radio app uh, if you don't already have it. Great thing to have on your phone. Access to all the iHeart stations. Um, also, play on demand the podcasts. Uh, well, clearly, first and foremost, the Clay and Buck podcast so uh check that out and clay will be back tomorrow um he's tonight i think uh team ali is he gonna be in houston tonight is that he's houston area tonight yeah okay oh he's in good hands it'll be with michael Barry and jesse kelly uh you know hopefully they won't keep him out too late drinking drinking too much uh tito's and uh you know whatever else they got down there so um he's gonna have a fun time so go out and see him if you haven't uh, go get your copy of american playbook as well we got some callers who want to weigh in and i would like to hear from them uh scott in manhattan beach california one of the top places i would live if i was forced to move to california what's going on scott
5: yeah, you know, Buck, I just heard you run down how ridiculous these uh, charges are in the latest indictment. And I think all four of them are that bat crazy. And uh, I, I think that you, people are looking at the uh, Supreme Court angle. I think Alito, Thomas, and the Trump three, are, there's no way they're going to let this craziness fly when it, when it gets to their docket. I think once it hits them, they're just going to throw it out like it should be. It's just all ridiculous.
2: Scott, uh, I, I don't think it's gonna go down like that. And let me tell you why. Um, for one thing, uh, you know, they're gonna, this, the, the process will play out for, uh, for a while here on these cases. We don't even have a trial yet. I don't think the, I mean, look, it, it's such a mess. I mean, it's, it's a little bit, uh, like trying to, you know, analyze a, an entire football season before you've seen, a, you know, a, a single, uh, I was going to say single touchdown play. That's not right. A single play is where, is where Clay would be helpful. Anyway, um, it's it's a little early to really get a sense, I think, of where, uh, where this is going legally with the Supreme Court. I don't think the Supreme Court is what we should be hoping is going to bail Trump out of all that. Now, when I say bail him out, I don't mean that he shouldn't be bailed out. I just mean uh, if we're hoping they're going to be the ones who step up here, I mean, they're going to do it in four different cases, they would have to identify a constitutional reason to do so, right? I mean, there have to be, what is the violation of the Constitution um, that makes them weigh in on this case? Like, what rights of Trump's are violated uh, in all these different processes? And they're all different cases, so maybe the Supreme Court's going to get involved here. Maybe they say it's not our place. We're not even going to, I'm telling you, and thank you, Scott, for calling. in. I'm not trying to make a hold there. I wanted to. I want to just respond in a fulsome way to his point. Um, I I don't think we should just assume the Supreme Court's going to bail out Republicans. I think that, or I'm mean, Trump. Sorry. Uh, I don't think that's. I just that's a failsafe. Man, you are. That's like uh, hoping you know your first parachute doesn't go. Your second parachute doesn't go. But maybe I'll like get stuck in the trees on my way down. And it'll break the fault. Like that's really, you're, you're hoping for a real last minute uh, situation, last minute reprieve uh, from the Supreme Court on all this. And, you know, I, I said after the 2020 election, uh, I said when I was doing uh, my show, uh, Buck Saxon show six to 9 p.m. Now it's Jesse Kelly's show. He does a great job. Um, I said, guys, even if it's true, the courts aren't going to hear the challenges because they don't want to get involved. And, man, people got mad at me. And then court after court after court didn't hear the challenges because I I knew I said, I look, guys, they don't want you think some judge in Pennsylvania in 2020 was going to say, well, there was a violation of the state constitution here. So we're going to throw out three million votes. Whether it's legally even correct or not, I just said the judge is not going to do it. He's not going to do it. There's not a judge who's going to do it. Now, I know no one can predict the future, but I had a ninety, you know, ninety nine percent certainty on that, and I was right. I I don't think that you can count on the Supreme Court even weighing in at all on on all or even one of these cases. I we just don't know. We just don't know. You, you think they're going to want to be the ones that that deal with that? You think that? I mean, yeah, what do I think Clarence, uh, Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, you know, maybe would, would step in and do the right thing. Sure. You really want the fate of the 2024 election to sit on whether, you know, Roberts and, um, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the Kavanaugh. Sorry. Roberts and Kavanaugh want to step up and do the right thing. I I don't know. I'm not saying he's wrong. The caller could be right. I just, I don't think that's going to happen, folks. I don't see that. So, Trump's going to have to win these things through his own strategy and, you know, and with the facts, and it's, it's a lot of process here that we have to go through. We will go through it together, though, and I am, I will say, I am still optimistic. Uh, I'm optimistic that all these legal assaults on Trump, that he will find a way, it's not going to be easy, it's not going to be quick, but I think he's going to find a way through them. I really do. Um, and I think that then we'll actually get to have the choice in 2024 that so many want, which is who should be leading this country going forward. I I think Trump's going to manage to get there. But it's going to be messy. The good news is Clay and Buck are here. We're the cleanup crew. We'll make sure we do everything we can to keep us on the straight and narrow. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast,
1: Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
5: podcasts.